Hello and welcome back to this week's edition of What If? And it's a cracker. I'm Lorraine. And I'm Rosie. And we have got... Craig David. Hurrah! We love Craig <laughs> David, don't we? We do. He's the loveliest man in all of the world. In the whole world? And he invited both of us out, didn't he? Yes, he did. We went clubbing. <laughs> we went clubbing. <laughs> Wasn't it the best? Yeah. He really is fantastic and he's so talented and just so very lovely. So we are delighted to talk to him about, well, about his what if moments, mm. about things that maybe have changed his life, people that have changed his life. Okay, we're going to start. <laughs> um, so we're going to go back to uh, baby Craig David. How did you find school and uh, your childhood? You know, it was funny because at school I was like, I was put into all these different classes. I mean, if I say from like, from middle school, I was just kind of fascinated in everything. I was just sort of, everything was play to me. So it was, if we were doing PE, it was like, okay, I want to play football over rugby. Or if it was English, I was like, I, I had a fascination with English, by the way. I really loved English and history were my the two languages that I loved. But it was super playful. And then I think when I got to secondary school, it's funny because I never never took music as one of my courses for my GCSEs. It was no it was a strange one. I think because at the time I was I was listening to like current music and and the music that they were sort of playing in the school class or what they were trying to teach us was how was a saxophone, the metal forged to make mm. a saxophone? And I was just like, you know, I actually really do not care. I, I just <laughs> want to know how, I don't know, Dr. Dre or Timberland or one of these kind of producers makes their songs. Yeah, it was, it was, a, I had a good time at school, but I just, it's funny how those, the things that I thought would be like, I've got to do drama, I'm going to do music, weren't actually the things I took on. It was geography and history I liked and English. So how did you get into music then? How did you start making music? So, I mean, I was always the, the kid in the back of the, the classroom who was jotting down little lyrics at the back of the French classes, which now, in hindsight, I actually do wish that I kind of had studied French because I would love to have been able to sing French. It would have been like, oh, man, or to take on Italian or Spanish. Now I see it, but at the time I was like, let me just write that little rap down there and a little <laughs> vocal here. And then it, it sort of spilled into me just wanting to do a lot of this at home. I found like I was more at home and passionate and, and really into music when I was able to do it my own way. So I think that was really quite important to me. I think everything was quite structured at school, whereas at home I was like, I play the song I want to play, I listen to the music I want to listen to, and I make my errors along the way as I, as I do in my little home studio. So When did you know or realise that you could pursue a, a career in music? It was a funny one, you know. When you're at school, like, There'll be something that if you're aware enough, you'll, you'll pick up on, people will go to you for this one thing that they, it could be something as simple as, I don't know if you could play football incredibly well, you do this one skill and everyone's like, oh, can you do that, that thing? Or you've got a, a way of expressing yourself and it makes everyone laugh and they're like, oh, can you do that joke? For me, it was like, can you sing? <laughs> one of my favorite songs was Boys to Men, End of the Road. Every time I sang that song, it was just such a big record at the time, it was like, it would top the charts in the UK and everyone was like, boys to men, amazing. And I'd always sing the song and I'd always try and hit the notes that a lot of the other people in my class would kind of skip. They'd always go to the easier notes and I'd always try and get those high ones. And everyone would be like, Craig, sing boys to men, sing boys to men. So I kind of noticed there was something, but I didn't know if it was enough to have a career. I was just like, oh, people think I can kind of sing, but I'm not quite sure about myself yet. So, What if you hadn't gone into music I actually feel deep down in my in my heart that there is no 
it's a bit of a curveball to the answer, but there's no plan B in, in anything. I think it may not have been as grand as the, the artist that I've been able to, the success I've been able to achieve, but I always would have done some form of music. So it would have been, I might've been a, a school teacher who would have been like singing and helping like the students to, to sing and then having these sort of weird sort of push and pull moments where I'm like, but I know I can sing all of you guys under the table right now. But <laughs> so I'd have my own little imposter syndrome again, yeah, within the classroom, <laughs> right? So the same things would have played out, but in a different way, but always music. It would have, and I always feel now that I would have been wanting to try and help people in some way. So I can't, whatever that would have been, but it would have been using music to get a platform to give people some kind of healing. I'm just so grateful and glad that I could do it in this way and do it in such a, in such a grand way. Mm -hmm. um, I've always want to help people. I, music just does that for me. It heals me and it heals others. So maybe quote unquote, some kind of musical healer. Nice. A musical healer is a good one. Do you think that sort of caring thing, does that come like from your mum or is it just something that's with you? I just wonder if that, because I think sometimes these things you can learn by example. And I just wondered if, you know, if, if she was particularly like that and whether that was something you picked up on. I think it's definitely my mum and my, my grandma in particular kind of raised me. My dad did an amazing job, even though my mum and dad were, had split up early on, but he always like, showed that I had a, my dad was there. And I think it's really important when you're young that you, you pick up on all those kind of dynamics. But the the feeder part is from my grandma. That's just like coming home from school and like the tea there. And like she'd have, it would be like, it'd be fried eggs and chips and beans and a whole, all, everything. You're just like, wow. Think about that. I might have to have like a little later on tonight. <laughs> yeah. But she'd always make sure you just felt the love. It, was, it wasn't just talking. It was feeling, picking me up from school. And then my mum would do exactly the same, like, She'd always find an extra £20 in her pocket to, to give to me when I wanted to buy a, a record from the shop or she'd come to London with me. And she knew I was, I, I was so passionate about it. She'd always somehow have the money. And now, in hindsight, I'm like, wow, you were, you were going into overdrafts. You were really struggling to get that, that money out for me, but you still did it because you want that love you had. So I think it, it definitely has come through. And then there's an innate thing inside of me that's, I care about people. And it's the hardest thing to like we said earlier, to, just to have your right, the balance right, because you can overly care and be the, the caretaker of other people. And you, you've got to be careful to not be that because everyone has their own path that they have to go on. You can't sort of bypass the tests of life. And if you get too caretaker for everyone, you start taking on everyone's issues and then you, you've really checked out on yourself. So I find a really good balance. And I just want, we're in a hard time right now, as we all know, but it's like, it's, it's, talking like this and us all sharing our experiences and knowing we're all in this together that will obviously get us through and we can all connect again. What do you think makes you contented? When I'm in the presence of people who are in their authenticity to who are speaking their truth and I can have, I don't have, I'm, I'm being seen when I'm in a conversation, like we're like, it's not like looking over you or you get the handshake or the hug and it's like onto the next, you actually are being seen as a human being it lights me up because now I can have really good conversations and it can have really beautiful, creative collaboration. I love that in all walks of life, in any relationships, be it that it's work related or even personal, you want it to be like, Oh man, you lift me up. I lift you up. I'm having a bit of a down day. You kind of hold the space for me and help me. I do the same for you. It makes me feel alive when I have that. And I think that that's for me, that makes me feel like there's purpose in life. Relationships is all we really have. 
and it, they're the hardest and most messy things to deal with. But when you understand the dynamics and you stay true to yourself, you can have really interesting like collaborations mm-hmm. with people. And I, and I, and I'm really happy. That makes me happy to know I can do that oh. now. Did you ever have anyone say to you that you couldn't sing or was it all you? Did you ever have anyone like a music label say no? I remember when I was first about to be signed, there was a lot of interest. And at these times, it was like early 2000s. Rewind was, was starting to do really well with the Artful Dodger. And I was like the sort of the, the kid that they knew the name of because I'd said my name so much in the song. <laughs> but no one knew who, no one really knew who I was. And even in the video, I wasn't in the video. So there was this, I had a CD that was going around record labels and it had Walking Away on there, which was the third single on the first album. And a couple of other tunes that made the album. And there was kind of, there was like a buzz going on in and around like the music that was that was happening. But then I kind of found myself in a place where the record labels were saying, yeah, well, he's got that rewind tune. Is this, uh, it's doing all right, but maybe we can give him a little development deal. He needs to develop. He needs to work mm. on this. And there was one guy in particular called Colin Lester, who's been my manager for 20 years now. He ended up signing me to his record label. And he was the one who said, I'm not really about this, this record development thing that Sony Columbia had offered and BMG or the big labels. So I was like quite excited and I almost would have taken a development deal. But he said, no, I, I think there's no development. You've got Rewind's doing great and you look like you're on a winner. Next thing I walked back into his office like the following week, having him said, look, go away, write some more songs and maybe an album. And then I went in with Fill Me In in seven days. And I think at that point he was like, like I said, you don't need development, my man. You're, you're, you're okay here. We're good. And that was it. So I've, I've had knockbacks on the way, but you have to just stay true to yourself, I guess. Sure. But that's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's the what if moment. You know, if you'd gone with one of these great big labels and developed rather than somebody signs you up because they believe in you and you're able to actually express yourself, it's quite mm. you know it's really interesting that is that is one of those moments isn't it totally Lorraine it's, it's funny because at the time I was so mesmerized by going for meetings and going for example going into Sony and you're seeing the beautiful marble floors and you're looking up on the mm. wall and you're seeing like I don't know Will Smith at the time and Men in Black which is the big movie was like when it met Will Smith and there was Mariah Carey like with so many like plaques going on and Destiny's Child and you think I want to be here I'll take a development deal to be. And then I, when I met Colin, it was like his office was, I wouldn't say it was shabby, <laughs> but it was like the meeting table in Sony was like went on forever and there was chairs that went on forever and there was projectors and all the things going on. His was like a wooden table in an office. And I'm like, mm, okay, this is not quite what I thought it would be. But his, the way he spoke to me and, and, and his heart was so truthful and so authentic that there was something that I always respected in that. I'm really glad that, and I didn't know what intuition was really, quote unquote, but mm-hmm. something made me say, you know what, the way you're talking to me is like I'm, like I'm a grown up. You're talking honestly to me, whereas the others were like, it was all about the, the glam and the marble floors and the plaques. Mm. And I'm glad I went for that. So it was a swinging point. How old were you when the, all those meetings were happening? I would have been, so I got signed like 17. Wow. Tail end at 17, 18. So, I then, it probably would have been that whole year. So like 17 years old, I would have been going in and out of all these record labels. And it was all starting to feel so exciting. And then, like I said, I went to Colin's office, like saw this table and like, <laughs> I was like, is this really? And then look, I mean, 20 years later. So. I know, but that's, that's really remarkable that it's such a young age 
you know, you weren't bedazzled by all of that and you, you, you stayed really true to what you wanted to do. And that's, you know, that's incredible, really, when you think about it, you know, to have to have that sort of maturity and certainty as well. And, and I suppose a little bit of confidence to just say, this is the road I'm going to take. You know, I'm not going to go down that other road. I'm going to go down this one. 100%. I think that crossroads comes. I mean, I know he'll tell it like, you know what? Well, actually, Craig, I was the only one that really offered you a proper deal. So I, mean, I, know, you're, I know you're telling this story about this and that. But really, I think he put them off the scent as well because he, he would like all the record labels, they sort of talk to each other. So he talked to them and say, yeah, this Craig David guy, uh, he's got this walking away tune. And, and Cole will be like, yeah, I feel it's only one song. It feels like he, I'm not even sure about development with the guy. He's got a lot to go. And then all of a sudden, bang, the album deal with, with him and Wildstar. So he's a guy, I love his vibe. <laughs> but it was really, I mean, the success was huge, wasn't it? And you sort of came from being, I suppose, a little bit underground, a little bit edgy, you know, very, very cool. And then bang, like you said, there you are mainstream. And that's actually really quite difficult to deal with. You know, it's quite hard, you know, as, as you said, suffering from imposter syndrome as well, where you kind of think, oh, I don't know, have I actually earned this? <laughs> There's that sort of feeling, isn't it? Totally. Like, I mean, I remember going from living with my mum my in a little two-bedroom flat in Southampton. And the next thing, sort of fast forward, I'm walking onto the stage at Top of the Pops to perform Rewind for the first time. And it was like, it gone in number two in the charts. And it was like, so I was elated by that. But I'm also standing there and it was almost, it was the first time that I started to see some of the cracks in what was this most perfectly set up music world where I started to see like gaffer tape on the floor that was kind of over a cable going to a camera. And I started to see like the behind the scenes of things that were so immaculate and shiny on TV. And I was like, okay, this is not quite, it was very interesting for me because in that moment I'm having a number two, I should be jumping around. I'm like, that gaffer tape on the floor surely someone's going to move that <laughs> that's true yeah that no I know I know what you mean by that it's really interesting but for you it was about the music rather than the fame do you think the fame was kind of a a thing that comes along because you want to make music I feel like even when I look back over the, the course of my career it was like the byproduct of being so passionate about the music was that you you became well known and, and people would celebrate the music you were doing and it served me really well because I think also at times where if you start to believe in how the fame and the celebrity and the success, it's very smoke and mirrors that. You have to be very careful because you can be on this yo-yo of like, wow, you feel elated when you have success. And then the lows, when and it might even be a big low. I mean, it could be like you're, you're number two as opposed to number one in the chart, mm. which to most people like, you're number two in the charts. Mm. Would be like, you're at the bottom of a mountain. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I had a few of those moments, but I kind of checked myself early on, which helped me to kind of have, feel a little bit more comfortable with the fame and to not let it kind of run my life. Obviously, you, you know, you've had ups and downs, as you've said. You did have astonishing success. I mean, it was remarkable, wasn't it? It, re mm. it really was. And then, of course, there's a time where it's not so great. And, and we know that, you know, you had all this horrible stuff that went on with Bo Selector, which was ghastly. But you dealt with that with such, I don't know, you were, you were so patient and you were so dignified about it. But at the time, it must have been quite hard to deal with. It was strange because it was... Yeah. On one hand, you had people saying that 
familiarity and and or or people making parodies of you is it was a form of of, of flattery you know and I was like okay I'd seen spitting image I'd, I knew the concept and I was thinking wow okay well I'm in a, a show with David Beckham Michael Jackson like I mean it's huge artists so I, on one hand I kind of was buying into that mm. but then on the other hand I was like but it doesn't seem like it's really it's not uplifting me in any way at a point when I was it seemed like everything I was doing was to try and uplift everyone so it was like it Felt that the, the tone of it was always like this to slightly bring you down into this place. But I found grace in the, in the whole thing because being patient is, is important. I think you have to, and I think if I look back, the only thing that intuitively, and I go, I always talk about intuition, was there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen, right? You have to be super angry on this side and, oh, no, no, but you're sad on this side. And then you're getting, so was, and I was just like, you know what, to be absolutely honest, I'm not really that concerned. I just, just want to make music. I want to be in the studio. And it kind of spilled into something a lot bigger than what it was. But I love that I was able to nip it in the bud in terms of to show grace when I met him at Fern Cotton's wedding reception. Because Fern was on Celebrity Juice. They had a relationship. I knew Fern for many, many years. And I saw it and it was really, it was one weird one where I walked into a room and it was like both of us there and everyone's like, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> How's this going to play out? But something greater than me like really came over me where I was like, you know what? It, it sort of, everything was like out of the way and I kind of focused in I was like I'm gonna go over and I'm just gonna say to this guy listen I don't know what the reason was and I'm not gonna get into too much talking but I'm gonna give you a hug and say listen no bad blood between us it is what it is I was really doing it for my own peace of mind because I needed to like if you keep keep that going it burns you all the time because you're thinking well I don't really care if you can rip into me I'm fine but into my song, yeah. I was like, no, yeah. this is something that uplifted the, this was a cultural record. This, this was an important record that changed the fabric of, of music at the time and inspired so many artists. That was the bit I was like, I don't want that to become some comical thing because this was a really important record. I gave him a big hug. Gave him was like, ooh, what's going on? <laughs> is he going in for a hug or is he going in for a punch? What's going on? <laughs> well, the, the love and the hug was so big that it was like, you could have the time and you were smothered. It was almost like, and love it. and he felt it and, and he and he did say like i didn't mean to to do this and i didn't mean to but you know what and but i i accepted why i went in it wasn't like i needed some kind of remorse i didn't need to, an explanation because i think people always be on the edge with that and say was it was it not but for me i was cool with it and it made me closure move on we're mm. good and then just be patient and then look where we are so well look where we are yeah like do, do you think if that if that whole thing hadn't have happened would you have gone to the states well, it's funny because I think I was already on my way to, to go there anyway. I'd, I'd mm. gone from, Film Me In was released like 2000, 2000, and I went for my first video for the American company, record label, was in Miami. And I was like, wow, this place is crazy. Then I went there the following year for New Year's for two weeks. And then I was going every year with my guitarist, Fraser T. Smith, who has now gone on to produce huge records from... Stormzy to James Morrison to Dave. I mean, he's doing wonderful. So he was like, he's my guy. We go out, we have a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I was always going to, it was going to end up with me spending more time. And I'd bought a holiday home there, which kind of spilled into now I'm living there because I just couldn't get my head around not being in the sun and enjoying the palm trees. Mm -hmm. And it kind of coincided with everything that was going on in the UK. So it, I think to a lot of people, it felt like I'd left because of that. But actually I was like, I've left for the palm trees in the sun, if I'm being honest. And the, and the sea, oh my. And it was a good time. It was a breathing time. It allowed me to be away from it for a moment. And then when I did re-enter, it was a different, I had a different appreciation and love for the UK. It was, it was funny. 
How long were you in Miami for altogether? So I was out there for about five years. Wow. Wow. And the parties were legendary. Yeah. They were. I mean, that was really, that again, that became the hottest ticket. Everybody wanted to be at your place on a Friday night, didn't they? That was where everybody should be. Yeah. Do you know what it is? It's, I've always wanted people to have the best time when they're at one of my shows or if they're in my presence or if they're at one of my Friday night DJ sets in my house, one of my house parties. And it was because I got so tired of going to the clubs and there being this really elitist thing of there's a red rope and who's, who's in the mm. VIP, who's not. Well, you're a bit inferior if you're not in the, in the VIP. And I just had this really this clarity of like, well, actually being in here, which is all nice, like you get entered in and you feel like you're top boy for a second. And then the drinks start spilling on you and you've got no space <laughs> and someone's in your ear and you can't really move. And you're like, well, I just want to go to the toilet. And it's like, well, I can't get out. I've got to go through like five tables. That... And the person is on the other side of the rope. I was rocking up to the bar when I want. I go to the toilet when I want. I've got space <laughs> to dance. And I was like, this is not making sense. And also, why is everyone praying to this like wooden table? Like it's some kind of like, is, is the, like literally because there's a bottle of vodka on here, somehow this wooden mashed up table has turned into some sort of mecca. And I was like, no, 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 I've got to change this. And that's how the house party started. I was like, I want to bring everyone into my home and you all can be VIP. I'll get on the mic and make you all feel like you're wearing the best dress, the best outfit, <laughs> drinks on tap, food on tap, music's hopefully covered from yours truly. And we're good. So fun. Am I right in thinking that TS5 stands for the house party, like the location? Yeah, it's Tower Suite 5. Oh, they had this strange right. name for that floor that I was on. And everyone would just like sort of use the abbreviation and be like, oh, I'm coming to TS5 tonight, coming to TS5. And then when I started to do the DJ sets, I was like, well, yeah, call it what it is. And yeah, so it's, it's nice that it's a na- people who came for the first house parties will be like, oh my God, to see how far it's come from six seven people around your house having some shots and listening to some music to it being a real like full-on like glastonbury moment so it's Mm. crazy oh they're huge aren't they absolutely massive you because you did that big thing at new year gosh doesn't that feel strange and a a million years ago and it wasn't it was only new year there i mean that was again that was absolutely huge and a great moment and it's exactly what you say about making people feel better and we need that now more than more than ever we did i think Totally. Such an honour to be asked to perform for New Year's in front of that many people. And this is the same thing that I will always say to you, Lorraine, and I know that you know this, Rosie, too, because your mum's just like just a champion. But it's the way that you've always been throughout. There's a consistent authenticity with you that I love. It's that you champion people. I remember when I was in Miami, you'd always say lovely things on air when you were on your show. Trying to get you back. We wanted you to come back. But it was amazing. There was no like, it wasn't like there was any reason for you to to have my back through periods and just be like, when it was like sort of against the cost, you'd be like, no, 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 I'm going to have a voice for him, even though he hasn't asked me for it. I'm just going to say my <laughs> how I feel. So I've always had this really strong um, gratification and, and a happiness for how our relationship sort of evolved from afar. And then when I got to meet you, like more properly when we kind of did more shows, I was just like, you're just an amazing woman who who cares about people and it's not just just for me I feel, I've seen it with other people that you stand up for people who who need a voice and I feel there's a lot of people who would wouldn't use their position in that way and that goes back to when you live you stand in your truth and you've always had that you're and I had to say that because it's like it really it rings true for me because there's been people who 
you're having success and you know, everyone's on yeah. you. And It's when you know when your pals are. You know your pals are when, the, when times are tough. But you talk about caring, for goodness sake, for people that don't know. Craig and I got to know each other really well when we went on a comic relief trek. It was hard. Well, it was hard for me. I was really struggling and you saw how much I was struggling and you helped me. You lifted me up, Rosie. Picked you, up. you picked me up. I know. I know. And then, and then took my shoes and socks off and poured cold water on my feet and then went away and got me a cup of tea. No. And, you know, none of this sad Sadly, is on camera because he did it when no, well, none of the cameras were there, and that is the measure of the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but obviously, very obviously, very fit to be able to pick me up. <laughs> well, you more like you're super light. That was that. That's what I I'd flip it oh, like yeah. that. <laughs> do, do you know what though? I've got to say that there was, and I'm a big believer in this. I don't feel like there's any coincidence in life. You kind of you meet people at the right time at certain times in your life. And that was our first real connection. But it was always destined. It was like, okay. We did, we all sort of helped each other. It was, it was actually, it was really, it was a really amazing experience actually. And it gave us time because that's the thing about sometimes when, especially, you know, if when it's crazy and success is mad, especially for someone like yourself, you don't really get time to actually sit and think. And, and things like going on that trek, things like what you said when you had a bit of a break from things, you've got a chance to take a breath and, and think about what's really important and, and I know you're a very spiritual person and you, you know, you, you, you really appreciate the things in life that are important. Yeah, I, I really, I really do. Which kind of when you have that kind of that grander sort of aspect of the things that you do, it gives you more purpose and reason for what you're doing. So I'm more conscious now of, say, the lyrics that I put in my songs, because I know that music is such a healing vibration. And if you can uplift people and give people an amazing feeling at the same time, you can heal people. It's 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 incredible that you can have that ability. And you have to be also careful with the words you say because they can have a huge impact on yourself. I've put things out there and I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually living the song. That Rise and Fall was a good example of that. It was one. It was a song that the lyrics in that couldn't have been any closer to home. And I, was, I did that in 2002 and lived it probably in 2012, 13. I was like, oh my God, this is like to a T. <laughs> I was like having a clairvoyant kind of moment. But it's healing. Absolutely. Oh, listen, Rosie, we have to talk about chocolate. We do have to talk about chocolate because we heard a rumour that you carry chocolate everywhere you go and you just give it away. Like Santa. Yeah. It's almost like that. It's kind of, I love Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. As a movie, it kind of was the original with Gene Wilder. So when I watched that as a kid, I don't know, I just loved the whole, it's it's actually very spiritual when you look at it, just the way that Charlie did the right thing at the end gave the everlasting gobstopper back when he had temptation to sell out mm. and take the money. There was a, so I kind of could really relate because I was like coming from a, a working class family and having all these, this opportunity, my golden ticket moment was the first album. And then you're out there and it's like, you could sell yourself out here or you could do the right thing and then get it all. How that leads into chocolate. So <laughs> if I've got like a, a Cadbury's do some big, like they do the big Cadbury's like dairy milk bars or Toblerone, huge ones they do. To give that to an adult in particular, and see them go for, even if it's for five seconds, to go into a kid again, like they've gone to Woolworths mm-hmm. for a pick and mix, or they're, they're gone out with their, they've gone to the fun fair with their parents. And just to see, and I'm talking like accountants, lawyers, people who are very rigid in their ways. You know what I mean? I'm an adult, this is responsible. And you give them chocolate and you see the light open, open up for a second. And then they catch themselves and like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the lawyer, I'm back. I'm, <laughs> I saw you, I got you, I know there's a kid in there. And I just want that to bring out for everyone. So I, when I do that, it's like, let's let's be kids. We've got responsibilities, but at the same time, 
be playful, have fun in life because this shouldn't be like a chore to get to some destination. We really need to enjoy the journey and it will be this tough times, but a little bit of sweetness can, can help you out, but don't go crazy because we don't want to put you having too much sugar and mess you up that way. But You are in really good shape. I think though, if you don't mind me saying, you took it too far for a little bit, but I think you're abs- you've absolutely cracked it now. Thank you. No, I, I agree with you 100%. Like I, there was a point where, and it, a lot of things stem from when you're, when you're a child. So I was a little bit chubby and overweight when I first, well, not first, but for my, throughout my childhood. And then by the time I kind of released my first song, I'd lost quite a lot of weight. So people wouldn't have never really have known of me of being a little bit overweight kid. But I think what it did psychologically was like, one day I'm gonna like really ramp this to a point where I can be, have the six pack and do all of the things that I know you see the school captain and the football team at school and, and you're just like, oh, I want a six pack like him because he seems to get all the attention and he seems to get, so you've got this thing that's happened from young. I took it to the extreme when I went to Miami and I look at those pictures now and it's, and I smile because I'm like, almost like I'm talking to my, myself back then and say, oh man, you put so much effort into it. And I know what you were trying to do, little Craig there. I see you there. You were trying, you really wanted people to, to see, get attention from your externally, but you already had all this, like from day one, you, you, your heart was open. You just wanted to sing and, and have songs. And you were doing all the things that society sort of said, this is what you should do to be, to, to be seen. And I look in, I say, you know what? It's okay that I've got you though. Don't worry. The new and improved, I've got you. If my six pack is, is, isn't fully out and I've got one pack, I'm still the same <laughs> lovable Craig that I will always be. And that for me is such a relief. You're like, oh, I can breathe now. And nobody cares about my six pack or not. I mean, like, no one's looking. They just want to hear good songs. They want to hear me hit. They just want to feel my heart. And I've learned that now. So I can save all that wasted time in the gym for like hours <laughs> on end. Do a little bit now, not too much. But you've never been the guy that's on the DJ booth with your top off. Nah, that's that, I, not really my... It's, it's not you, is it? No. Nah, it doesn't feel... I mean, fair play to anyone who, who's got the physique and wants to do it. <laughs> but I, when it comes to performing, I've been really... I, I take pride in especially when I go to Ibiza or when we did the shows out in Marbella and you came to the... Oh, that was so exciting. to discuss this. I stayed up until now. What time was it, Rose? Well, the show didn't start until about one or two in the morning. I know. It was so exciting. I mean, I, I honestly, I felt like a kid. It was brilliant. And you were amazing. And you're absolutely right about what you said about making everybody feel like a VIP because everybody did. Well, Mum, you were sitting at a table with the biggest bottle of vodka I've ever seen. That's very true. You had a fan. <laughs> I did. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> it was great fun though, wasn't I it? I loved it. Oh gosh. I loved the show, but I also loved you. I think, well, how, you weren't, you wouldn't have been 60 yet. You were... I was nearly 60, nearly. thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was Craig's oldest fan. But you were sat at a VIP table with, <laughs> it was a bottle of vodka on a, on a spinny thing. Oh yeah. So it's fan and then yeah. that's how it came out. Right. I remember it well. I, I, it was very, very good. And we did have a few drinks. Craig, you don't really imbibe, do you? You're not really, you don't really get, you know, go off your face or anything. You don't do that because, you know, that would be bad. Well, listen, firstly, like the fountain of youth. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, like keep doing whatever you're doing. You're drinking the right water, eating the right food. So you guys are fantastic. But in terms of drinking, I think I did my phase in Miami. Right. Was the, mm-hmm. I was the hostess, the most desk, come in got the shots of tequila ready to go. I do my first one. Sorry, you do your first one. I do my second. I've already had one other guest. Then I'm on my third. Then I'm on my fourth. Then I'm on my fifth. And everyone's on their first. 
So by the time we were like halfway uh, through the night, mm-hmm. I was just like out of it. And then it ends up, you go to Five Guys, one of the burger places on the way back from one of the clubs we'd end up going to. And it just was a rocky road. Sounds great mm. though. Sounds brilliant, doesn't it? <laughs> there was some upsides to it. and then, But now, if I, that's mad. If I drink now, it takes three days. Yeah. If I've really gone for it to come back yeah, to yeah. some kind of normality. And I just can't, that hangover, extended hangover, I just can't do it anymore. When I was at school, that was like, shouldn't be necessary at school, but you know, we always have a little something. <laughs> in school. I could rock up to the school lessons fresh. Yeah. Yeah. But now? No. Yeah, can't do it. Can't no, do we it. used to go out on a Wednesday night and we'd be at school on Thursday. Did you? Again, should not be saying this, but yeah. I didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd stay at my friend's house, so you wouldn't know. Ah, oh, yeah. right, when you were sort of doing that's your homework. That's a whole homework. podcast in itself. That's like, a whole let's talk other about that. chat. <laughs> bet that's very 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 naughty no but you are in great shape and you take care of yourself but you've got the balance now it's getting that balance isn't it with everything in life but that's you know that that was that's great that you've got that now which is just yeah and you're and yeah it's 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 really good and now you're kind of well I don't want to say elder statesman because that's not really that's no. not really fair because you're said like the father of garage the grandfather of garage so it's not that's just yeah. Not true. No, not well, grandfather. No. Things. No way. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. But you are now, though, the guy, the go-to guy. Everybody wants to work with you. I mean, they're just recently KSI. You got the number one. It was fantastic. You know, that's that's a great position to be in. You know, when all of these all of these people just want to either want to come with you and work with you or they just want advice or they just want to hear your experiences. And that's a great position to be in, isn't it? It's amazing, Lorraine. Like, I've I've got to a point in my life where I've like hit that a real sweet spot where it's I'm enjoying my music. I'm also enjoying like these moments to come on Rosie and, and see you two with your first like podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love this because now I've got like like 20 years worth of experience and confidence to speak my truth and to have anecdotes and stories about things that kind of hopefully can help people who are going through their own thing. But yeah, it's just it's it's amazing just to see how it's we fast forwarded it into into this world, and I mean, I'm just so I'm so grateful to to have like lovely people with you to have have these kind of moments with. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to ask, what if you could go back in time? Would you have done anything differently? No, I would actually. I'd go back and I'd say, you're not going to believe this, my friend, but you are going to go on a wonderful mm. journey, and it is going to be a roller coaster ride. But where you'll end up which is still, still ongoing. So, I mean, we got, I've got a journey ahead of me, so I don't know where this is going to go. You're going to have an incredible journey that will make you feel like you've lived life. So um, I wouldn't change anything because it wouldn't have, for me to be here with you today, took everything we've done to get here. <laughs> <laughs> and also, don't yeah. you think things happen for, for a reason sometimes? You know, when you're ready for something, mm. it sort of happens. I, I think that, Craig, and I think that's certainly what, what's happened with, with you. And I think sometimes, you know, unfortunately, we don't like to go through bad things, but they, they sort of make you the person that you are. If you've had to go through grief or something's happened in your career or something's happened in your life, it can... That makes you the person that you are. And if you can deal with it, and then I always think you've got a lot more empathy with somebody else who's going through that too. You're so right. It's like the, the, the times when you're sort of knocking on the door to try and get through something and it's like the door's closed and there's another door like right next to it, which is open, which you, you somehow don't want to go through. You're like, well, there's, there's a door over there that's open, but you keep banging your head on this one over here. I really don't know why you keep doing this until you mm. finally sort of follow the path. 
And I, and I think it's so important like to know that everyone goes through it. No, I don't care who they are, how famous they are, how they'll tell the story. We all have bad days and even bad periods in our life. Get through them. Man, we can talk about them. Things you tell your kids, things, things you tell your, your friends. It's uh, all connection. Hmm. When you talk about spirituality, was there an event that happened that got you into all of that or was it just something that, that came about? It was when I start, you start asking the questions. Again, Miami was a real sort of apex for me because I, I learned so much there. It was like I'd had all the success. I'd experienced number ones. I had album success. And when you hear like the word millions of copies and you sort of, so you, you, you can, those are these ticks that are going on the, on the, on the bucket list. Driving the Ferrari, got the, I mean, living in Miami, you got the, the beautiful apartment, the view. But something in my soul wasn't feeling satisfied. I just felt like, is this it? Is this it? Like, is this the feeling? I'd be getting in the Ferrari and driving thinking, well, yeah, it's beautiful. It was great when I picked it up. It was lovely and the drive is it's very fast. But there's a whole load of problems that come with this whole thing. Like, I think it's breaking down every five minutes, bringing all this attention <laughs> that I don't really want with it. It's like... Weirdly enough, even though it's a red Ferrari, so you saw that you brought it upon yourself, but yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I realized that it was like, it's not about material things. It's not the external. It's never going to fulfill you. And what happens, it doesn't matter if you keep changing it, buy something new, go to a different destination. You can do it as many times as you want. You can't run away from yourself. And I started to ask, what is the purpose of this? When you ask that's a big question or why am I doing this? The big questions that there's no real specific answer. You change your trajectory very quickly and you start to look at different things that, that seem to be answering it. And it always seems to be from, some would say it's religion, some would be it's, it's from spirituality, but you'll go somewhere. Can, can someone give me a bit more because I'm not getting out of life the answer? And then you start to become, go on a journey and it's been the best thing ever because now I feel connected to something that's much greater than anything I can buy and there's nothing I can buy that will give me happiness. You'll give it a moment. You get a little bit like, oh, wow, I've got the new thing and then that new thing, the new car. And then all of a sudden, like, you're throwing the, the bags and everything on the seat that you would never do before. Never on the cream seats. You've got, <laughs> no, don't you dare put something on that cream seat. And all of a sudden, you're not even getting the, the, wash, the car washed for weeks. It's the same old, same old. When you can check out of that, you then can just have fun with it rather than it, it defining you. You are an angel that floated down from heaven. Thank you. <laughs> thank I love you so guys. much. Craig, I cannot thank you enough. My angel, I owe you big, 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 big time. <laughs> you owe me nothing. Just you being healthy, happy, together, doing this makes me happy. I love you both. Well, we hope to see you really, really, really soon. Properly. Yeah. Um, really properly, because you're, you're just such a joy. Thank you. Can't thank you enough. Thank you so Cheers, much. Cheers, darling. Definitely. Thank we'll you. get some good food very soon. And lots of love. 